Philippians chapter 2. As today I want to share with you a study called The Humility and Majesty of Christ. And I don't know, like, if you guys could pick, like, I don't know, like one scene in the history of the world to where you could say, hey, God, I would like to see what happened there. You know, I wonder what you would choose, you know, and I'm sure we have many options. Uh, there's probably different things you can think of. But I know for me, like, I think that probably the one scene that I would like to see is when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and bore our sins. You know, we've seen the passion of the Christ, and that's, that's pretty uh, intense, man. But to actually see my Lord Jesus die on that cross for my sins to save the world. To me, when I look out at the horizon and I look out at, at the earth, I was telling my daughter on the way in today as we're driving, I'm like the one thing that I would love to see, think about it, the, like the, the epicenter of history is when Christ died. I would love to see that. So that's probably the most important event in, in all, all time. But then the second most important event, maybe for us personally, would be the day that you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Have you made that decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Now, it's very important that we make a distinction between going to church and going to heaven. There's a lot of people that go to church that are not going to go to heaven. And they might believe in their brains that Jesus died and rose again, but they don't believe in their heart. You want to know how we know this? Because they're not living the life. You know, I was thinking about this as we're singing songs and as we're doing the study and everything. I was like, hey, Lord, this is really cool. This is really cool. But Lord was telling me, you know, just something so important. He said, Manny, you know, though, that this is not Christianity. I mean, it's a blessing to sing. It's a blessing to sit in a Bible study, right? It's a blessing to go to church and all that kind of stuff. But really, really the test of my Christianity is at home. When the rubber meets the road. How am I living my life out there at home, and maybe at work, in the highways and byways. We have to make sure that we have this under control because, man, you know, what Jesus did for us and the way that he calls us to follow him is so huge. And today's study, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, is probably one of the most important Bible texts in the whole Bible. And so let's read it, and then we'll come back, and we'll kind of break it up a little bit and see what God shows us today. It says in Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
And so some people think maybe this was a hymn, a song, a poem. All I know is it's beautiful and it's deep and it's amazing what we see about Christ. Now, the first thing we're going to see is the Christian's imitation. The second thing we'll see is Christ's humiliation. And the third thing we're going to see is Christ's exaltation. Or another way of looking at it, our thinking, our shrinking, and then our king. And so verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so for us, we got to know it starts in the mind, right? How many of you guys remember when you were in uh, sports and my coach would always say it's about your attitude or maybe your parents or whoever it is, you know? It all starts with the mentality, the attitude that we have. You know, looking at this verse in context, it's about unity through humility and maturity. And so the, you know, the devil is trying to divide families. The devil is trying to divide, you know, flocks. And because he knows that if he divides us, then he weakens us. But we have to be united. And so that's really what Paul is writing about here. Great church, Philippian church was a great church, but there were, there were cracks in the armor. There was Achilles tendon. There were weaknesses that they had that would then hinder the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, no, no divisions. No divisions that will hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ, that will hinder the power of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about these two ladies that weren't getting along, different things like that. And so he says, let this mind be in you. You guys, we have to take it in context. And he's saying, you got to have the same heart that, that Christ had. It's going to be this unity through humility and maturity. We can't separate our spirituality from our mentality. And in the, in the book of Philippians, the word mind is found 11 times. So you've got to have the, the same mind of Christ. And what is that mind? Well, it says here in verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And so he begins here. He, he was in the, Jesus was in, in the form of God. The word in the Greek is morphe. It speaks of nature. It speaks of his essence. It speaks of his deity. The, the NIV uses those words in very nature, God. Uh, NLT, same thing, though he was God. And so, you know, we got to know who Jesus was. This is uh, such a great revelation of him. He wasn't a mere man. He wasn't a random rabbi. He wasn't a passing prophet. He wasn't a typical teacher. You got to talk to all those people out there in the world who don't realize who Jesus is. No, he's God in the flesh. He came to us. The Bible says that in John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Hebrews chapter 1, over and over again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how it's supposed to be read in the original language. So Jesus, it says, is, was God. The scriptures reveal him as that. Um, and this is why they worshiped him. The Bible says in Matthew 2.11 or Matthew 8, verse 2, Matthew 14.33, Matthew 28.9. You know, uh, they worshipped him. You know, John 20.28, 20, John says, uh, my Lord and my God, and Jesus didn't rebuke him for it. Acts 20.28 20, says that the God bought the church with his blood. 
So there's no doubt about it. Jesus is God. This is why Stephen prayed to him in Acts 7, verse 59. Remember, when he was dying, he said, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So you're not supposed to pray to anyone other than God. So Jesus clearly is God. And we believe as Christians in the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You guys remember, some of you guys remember doing this when you were younger. Not that you shouldn't do that, but I'm just saying, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. And so this is the doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is who Jesus is. And so he says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, it says in verse 6, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he didn't have to take it. He didn't have to rob. He didn't have to steal it. It was already his. And secondly, the Greek word, it talks about grasping for something. It wasn't something that he clung to or grasped onto. He was willing, in one sense, think about it, to let it go, in one sense, now, it, he never let it go in the sense that he lost his deity. He never stopped being God. You know, the moment he was conceived, whatever you want to call it, you know, an embryo, a fetus, whatever, you know, a baby that's born, you know, growing up, a teenager, man, you know, the whole time he was God. He never lost that nature. But then what he did was he added the human nature to it. And so Philippians 2.6 in the NLT says, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Who It says in the NIV, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Think about it. If you were God, if you were God, and you had a headache that was just driving you crazy, how many of you here would just snap your fingers? Go away, you know, just take it away. I mean, we would do this. You want a double-double? Boom, right there. You know, if you were God, wouldn't that be cool? You would, like, fix that air conditioner right now. You would do it, right? Because if you were God. But he, he kind of let it go. He didn't cling to it. He let himself uh, free from the privileges of being God. And so when you look at Christ, and really there's no comparison, but I was thinking of this guy, Elon Musk, the owner, you guys know him, of such companies as Tesla or Twitter. Uh, imagine if Elon Musk stepped down from his position, if he humbled himself, and then he went, knocked on the door, and applied, let's just say, for a job at one of those companies. And let's just say he did get a job. He was hired, and he started at the very bottom, just like everyone else refusing to pull any strings to get a promotion in the company. And what if, before he was hired, he made a decision that he would not tap into any of his $240 billion of assets? Imagine that. And so you're thinking, well, that's kind of, well, that's kind of a comparison. And there he is, the lowest paying job. I think uh, for Tesla, it would be 35000 a year. Think about that. That's less than $3,000 a month. And, you know, there he is at the bottom uh, working. And then if you were to then add to that, let's just say he was working there and they didn't like him. You know, they, 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 they kicked him to the curb and then maybe even said, you're so bad, they killed him. His own company, that, that's kind of like what happened to Jesus. I know you got to take that and you got to multiply it by infinity. 
but the creator of the cosmos became a man. It says in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, that's one who has surrendered their rights, and coming in the likeness of man. Now, to me, verse 7 was kind of crazy, especially the beginning right there, because he made himself of no reputation. I mean, be honest. You guys really, you're, a lot of times, we're, we, don't, we don't just care. We're almost consumed with what people think about us. We're so consumed with it, man. We want people to think that we're, we're good or we're holy or we got it all together or we're awesome or we're strong, whatever the case may be. But it says that he made himself of no reputation. I mean, he just emptied himself out. For him, it was the opposite. He made himself nothing. He, he set aside his divine privileges. The one who sat on the throne became a bondservant with no rights. The maker and maintainer of the universe became this meek man. And it says in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so God says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting. How many of you here, you want to see people get saved? You guys have that heart, huh? Man, if you're a Christian, you have that as the cry of your heart. Now, we can't die to be the Savior, but we can die to self and in one sense be a martyr. Now, some people will physically, literally lay down their lives so that others will be saved. Someone like Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, graduate of this prestigious university, could have had almost any job. He could, you, you, he could have landed anything, lived in the United States of America, man, with all the American dream, the white picket fence, the house, the cars, the family, the good times, the vacations, the money, everything that this life has to offer. But instead, what he did, and the key word in our text right here is that Jesus became obedient. That's the key. And God called him, the Father called him to come down, die on the cross. So for Jim Elliot, there he is, and I'm sure, you know, he heard the voice of God. And God said, I want you to go to the jungles of Ecuador, and I want you to minister to the Alka Indians, these savages that no one would survive. Up to that point, man, we're talking about missionaries dying. And so God calls him, four other men, they go to the jungles of Ecuador, and they end up getting speared to death. And so you might wonder, well, what a waste, right? But understand, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the faith, the seed of the church. And so what ended up happening is God used that to pave the way for Elizabeth Elliot and others to, to be able to go in, Rachel Saint, and eventually what happened is the entire tribe got saved. Isn't that what you want? I mean, we go to Cambodia, we go to the poorest villages in the world. You go to Cambodia, you go to Preving, you go to, like Deborah said, the dump villages, and literally their homes are made out of the trash that they get. You go there. And, you know, it's so cool what happened in Preving, 
The Lord opened up doors and, you know, you get to go and then they share the gospel. This was the year before we went and the entire village got saved. And so what ends up happening, the next year we go and, you know, next thing you know, we build a church. Build a church for them. What a difference it makes. Now, going to Cambodia, I have to tell you, it's not, I don't know, Mazatlan. It's not like some of these places where it's just so, you know, beautiful and perfect. And we're talking about you are sweating. You're sweating. It's so humid. It's so hot. It's like hell. I mean, it's just crazy. The way you, and sometimes I talk about Cambodia and people say, don't say that stuff, Manny, because then they won't go, right? <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, the sweat's good for you. But anyways... <laughs> You know, you're like, man, I would rather go and take that whatever, $1,500 and buy something else. But it's all about that word obedience. And God called Jim Elliot to go and to die so that people would get saved. God called whatever Mother Teresa to go to Calcutta, and she spent her whole life dying. Think of this gal, Catherine. She's there in Cambodia. She's you know, a, a young lady, and I'm sure she has all the desires to get married and to have everything, you know, that, you know, you would think about a young lady wanting to have, but she goes and she's been there for, I, I, I want to say, like, maybe, you know, over 10, 11, 12 years, and she has laid down her life. Now, does that mean that you have to go and do stuff like that? No, that's not the, the point I'm trying to make is that you have to be obedient to whatever it is that God calls you to, to be. And there you are, that, that mom, that amazing mom. They're not, they're not, you know what, that's not an easy job. You know, the industrial engineer, you just have to ask the Lord for marching orders and be obedient. For Jesus, that's what it was. It says in verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, and not just any death, the death of the cross. So here's the thing, man. Most of us will go and we'll do it as long as it don't hurt me, as long as there's no pain involved, as long as there's no sacrifice. I like what one guy said. He said that, the measure of the ministry is sacrifice, and a ministry that costs me nothing accomplishes nothing. And so for us, looking at this, we see, Lord, this is what Christ has done. You know, another example, I know that falls miserably short, and I think I shared it with you before, but what if God, you know, called you over to his office and he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he calls you over to himself, and he says, here, come here, Mio, I want you to look at this. And, you know, you're looking out the window, and he says, see that planet over there? And, uh, and you're, so you take a look, and you're like, yeah. And he's like, well, God says, well, what do you see? And you're looking at the planet, and you're like, man, it's a whole bunch of dogs. And it's like a dog-eat-dog world, man. They're just, like, eating each other, and they're fighting each other, and they're killing each other, and it looks miserable and horrible. And let's just say God said to you, I want you to go. I want you to save that planet. And this is what you need to do. You need to become a dog, right? And then not just any dog. I want you to be one of those four-inch dogs, the little dogs that fit in the teacups, right? Those, have you guys seen those dogs? It's crazy, you know? And so I'm going to send you over there, and you're going to go with the Rottweilers, and you're going to go with the, you know, the Pitbull Terriers, and you're going to go with all those crazy dogs, and they will kill you. They will devour you. But in the process, 
you'll save them. In one sense, that's kind of what God did in his son. You see, Jesus Christ, even though he was in the form of God, didn't consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, you know, becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. And for us, God is calling us to do the exact same thing. Like I said earlier, we can't humble ourselves to be the Savior, but we can humble ourselves in one sense to be martyrs, to take up our own cross and die to self. You know, looking at our text right here, you know, what I've learned in life is I need to esteem others better than myself. Even if they're not. No, I'm just joking. We're not supposed to, you know, we, hey, I got to think of them better than myself. I need to be seriously interested in the interests of others. I need to be willing to wash feet like we saw last week. I need to be willing to be wronged. Now, that's where a lot of people say, you know what? That's not fair. That's not just. That's not right. Well, do you think it was right what they did to Christ? It's not a matter of whether or not wrong or right. It's a matter of what, what is God telling you to do? You know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul says sometimes you've got to let yourself be wronged. And then what you'll do is you'll win them to the Lord. I need to be willing to bleed for others if God calls me to it. I need to be willing to lay down my life. This is what Jesus has done. Imagine that. God coming down, not just any cross. Crucifixion was invented by the Phoenicians to exert this pain over a long period of time, but it was mastered by the Romans to exert the, the maximum amount of pain and shame over an extended period of time. Imagine God naked on a cross, hanging there on the road. If you go to Israel, you will see where they put Jesus. It's right there in the main highway for everyone to see. There was God, the Son, dying for our sins. From the very top, you read Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, that was Jesus, according to John chapter 12. It says that Isaiah saw the Lord. And so you look at that glorious Jesus coming down to die on the cross for our sins. And so you got this. God says, I want you to have the same mentality. There's, you have to, there's this imitation. There's this humiliation. But you guys know, praise God, it doesn't end there. Because Sunday's coming. Right? And we read next in verse 9, Therefore, because of what Jesus did, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is who? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I don't know if you guys, some of you guys are probably too young for this. You might remember that song, a uh, spinning wheel. You guys remember that? Released by Blood, Sweat, and Tears in 1968. How many of you can sing it for me real quick? No, there's a part of it that says, uh, what goes up must come down. You guys know that, right? And so it, it, that's the way it is. Uh, the, the Bible says in Luke 14, 11, for whoever exalts himself 
will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, you might die as a Christian, being obedient, faithful to God, at the lowest ring you can think of. But when you're in glory, because you were obedient to Jesus Christ, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what the world sees, or they weren't really that successful. No, we don't see things through men's eyes. We see things through God's eyes. And God might look at that individual, and they say they were the most faithful of all. And when we're in heaven forever and ever and ever, the rewards for that faithful servant will be great. You see, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. That's the principle of Scripture. We read it over and over and over again. First Peter chapter 5, in verse 6, it says, For humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Listen, Mr., Whoever you are, uh, lady, I want to just encourage you to make sure that Jesus is the one calling the shots in your life. Yeah, well, I want to sleep around. Well, I want to, and then you are, you want to be with the same sex. You know, you have those types of attractions. It is crazy. The world that we live in where adults want to be with kids, how sick, how perverted, but we're living in a world now where basically they're saying, well, if that's how you feel... You know, it's just, you know, you're wired that way. No, we don't live and do according to what our body tells us to do. We're supposed to live according to what the Bible tells because the Bible is God's word. Jesus is Lord. And you might be here and you're going to church, but at the end of the day, listen, you got these secret sins that nobody knows about. You can't hide that from God. Listen, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And if he's not the Lord of your life, this is why God brought you to church today to say, hey, you know what? Let him call the shots. Don't you know that he knows what's better for your life than you do? He made you. And so every, eventually you're going to do it, either now or later. If you do it now, you humble yourself. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm wicked. I'm wretched. I'll be the first to say that. I am the chief of all sinners. I know who I am apart from Christ, right? So you bend your knees. I need you, Jesus. And he's the Lord and the Savior. If you, if you do it now, it's so cool because you do it on your, on your way to heaven, but if you don't do it now, you put it off, you die in your sins, you'll do it on your way to hell. Eventually, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, realize the identity, the majesty, the glory of Christ. And so for us, I pray that we would have that heart. You know, what we see right here is God is just saying, the, the Father has highly exalted him and given him, think about this, the name which is above every name. Doesn't it just bum you guys out to see how a lot of times people will use Jesus' name as a curse word? I mean, some of these movies, man, we're talking about them using Jesus as a swear word like hundreds of times in, in a single movie. Why don't they say, oh, Buddha? Why don't they do that, you know, or do different names? It's because this is the name the name above all names, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. You know, you go to the office, or you go to school, or you're around your family, they don't mind you talking about God or faith or generic things. 
But when you mention the name of Jesus, oh, then there's power. Acts 4.12, nor is there other, any other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, right? And so for us, it says right here, you know, as a result of Jesus humbling himself, then the Father exalts him and has given him that name above every name. And I was thinking in closing, you guys, a couple of things. Um, number one, uh, I was thinking about how when Jesus did everything he did, he died on the cross, rose again, saved us from our sins, we'll be in heaven forever and ever and ever. What a wonderful gift of salvation and righteousness and forgiveness that we've experienced by faith because we put our faith in Jesus. So we, Jesus is glorified. And, and I would say, it says right there, to the glory of God, the Father is glorified because I'll tell you what, it's not easy to give your son. So the Father is glorified. But you want to know why else the Father is glorified? And this is why it's just a trip to me, Matt, to think because, you know, we, uh, we tend, we have the tendency because of our prideful, sensual nature to just want to exalt ourselves. But the Jesus, he exalted his Father. He exalted his Father. When you read the scriptures and the gospels, he just pointed up to his dad. Hey, my dad, he's the best. You know, my, my father, he, he loves you. My father will take care of you. My father knows all your needs. He clothes all the flowers and he feeds all the birds. My father will take care of you. He just glorified his father. But to me, the thing that's trippy within the Godhead is the father glorified the son. He glorifies his son. He says, this is my son in whom I am beloved, please. Beloved, my beloved son, my son I love. When you put it all together, I love you, son. This is my son that I love. Hear him, follow him, believe in him. And, and in one sense, kind of like the way it works is how glorious it is that the son would glorify his father, but the father who's really at the top of the Godhead would then take his son and in one sense put him above himself. The name above all names is the name of my son. And that's kind of how it is. You know, we got these little petty squabbles that we're going through on, on earth. And, you know, we're holding our ground. And God is saying, have you seen what my son did? Unity is powerful. Unity through humility and maturity. That brings victory. We have to have that heart. You know, one last verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so when you become a Christian, you'll finally be able to get the Bentley. <laughs> right? No. That's not what he's talking about. You get the Bentley. You get the billions. You get whatever it is that you're thinking will make you happy, and it will make you more unhappy. You want to know why? Because you were disillusioned. You thought that if I could only get that, if I can only get him, if I can only get her, that I'll be happy. And once you get that him or her, you're not. And then what ends up happening is you fall into this deep depression because somewhere along the line, 
you were misguided into thinking that that guy or that girl or that car or that house or that job, uh, job or that six-figure income, whatever it might be, can make you happy. No, that's not the riches that satisfy the soul. What satisfies the soul is a relationship with God. It's rooted in his love and his peace, in his blood, in his forgiveness, in his righteousness. That's the riches that God offers to you today. And it's free. Now you have a choice. You can leave the same way you came. Or you can come forward and you can say, Lord, I want that. I want those riches. I want that relationship. I want forgiveness. I need heaven. You might be here and you're struggling. You're in sins and things like that. And I know it's so hard because I, that's how it was. I was involved in all that stuff that you name it. It's all on that list. That was me. Until the day I gave my life When I gave him my heart, he came into my life. But you got to make that decision. And if you have already, praise God for that. You know, we're learning how to be like Christ. But if you haven't done that, I beg of you today that you would. Don't leave the same way you came. The devil just wants you to put it in and out afterwards. I'm hungry. And God is just saying, no, let's do this. Let's start a relationship. You got to make that choice.